a mature brother, and you will not be disappointed. So guys, come out, and uh, we, it's a donation. You know, if you don't have the money, just come and eat with us. If you don't want to eat with us, you can show up at 7 and just participate in the worship and the study. Just come a little later. If, if you're not into steak, tri-tip that's been kind of <laughs> marinating in teriyaki overnight. It's really good. So, so we're going to have a good time. And then Sunday night, just as a plug, Sunday night, Bill Batstone, again, a lot of you don't know who he is. Uh, as a musician for many years, uh, I've known Bill. He, you would see Bill every, mor- every Sunday morning at Harvest. He's there on the worship team. He's the old guy with the gray hair. But the reason he's there is because he's one of the pioneers in the modern praise band music. He's going to come and share his songs, but there's one song he's going to share. And I'm going to share the story. You've heard of me talk about it, but being kidnapped and at gunpoint uh, years ago, uh, when we started the car with a gun in my ear, we turned on the radio, we're listening to K-Wave, and his song came on. And if you want to know what song it is, you've got to come here, and he's going to do it live. <laughs> I'm going to share my story, and then he's going to sing the song. It's, it's going to be really epic, so you need to come, okay? So this, that's this Sunday night. It's really the, the end of our summer with a stake and study, the, uh, the Sunday night, and then the women's retreat's coming up. Real exciting stuff for the fall. So good to see you this evening. Let's uh, open our Bibles to Genesis 47. I'm going to read a, uh, make reference to a, a verse in chapter 46. But I love this story, and it's been such a great study looking at, at this man. Really, when you study Genesis, Jacob's name began back, I think, in chapter 15 or something. And it's just kind of, cons- he's, his name is in here longer than any other name. It's really, it's mind-blowing. When you consider the grace of God, when you look at his life and how much of a, of a sinner and just a gnarly dude he was... You just see the grace of God, the grace of God, the choosing and, and, and forgiving and molding this man, Jacob. And finally, we're to a place, praise God, we're to a place where he's grown and he, he's 130 years old. He's going to live 17 more years. And these 17 years are really going to be the best years of his life. His family's together. His boys are alive. He's being cared for. By his son, Joseph, whom he has always loved, his beloved life, uh, wife, Rachel's children, Benjamin and, and Joseph. He loves Joseph so much. And Joseph is prime minister of Egypt. I mean, it, it's just fantastic, this whole story. If you recall, uh, last time we, we got to the, the emotional reunion of, of Jacob after not seeing his son for 20-some-odd years, 22, 23 years, he thought he was dead, but he gets reunited there in Egypt. And, and Joseph, as prime minister, has just kind of briefed his, his brothers. He knows his brothers. They're liars. They're scoundrels. He's briefed them. He said, Listen, when you stand before Pharaoh, you do what I've always done. Tell him the truth. Joseph's life has been a wonderful study of integrity. He is the person that when you open the Bible, if you want to study a life of integrity, and that's really what the study's about tonight. I've got it uh, titled Standing Out Amongst Your Peers because Joseph stands head and shoulders among, above his brothers in terms of integrity and honesty. He has lived his life that way, and God has blessed him. And tonight, we're going to see how it all culminates now as the, the family comes together and Joseph has briefed his brothers, don't you dare lie, don't you dare tell a lie. You, you tell Pharaoh that your shepherd. Your goat herds, your shepherds, that's kind of your, your job. That's what you've always done. I want you to tell them the truth. If you look back at chapter 46, verse 34, he says, this is what I want you to say when you meet Pharaoh. He says, your servant's occupation has been livestock from our youth, even till now, both we and our fathers. And then he gives the reason. This is why. That you may dwell in this land of Goshen. I brought you here. I picked this land out. And, and I've kind of moved you here ahead of Pharaoh. And now you're going to say, hey, listen, this is kind of the perfect land for us. We're, we are shepherds. We care for livestock. There's plenty of water here for them. And Pharaoh's going to say, oh, well, I'm going to give you this land. So he's priming his brothers, telling them what to say. But notice what it says at the end of verse 34 there. He says, for every shepherd is an abomination to Egyptians. And you read that and you go, what the heck does that mean? Well, what that means is 
Egyptians were kind of like Americans. We're into carne, carne asada, beef, steak and study. I mean, how many of you eat goat regularly? Raise your hand if you eat it regularly. See, not, there's some people that eat it. I mean, I love feta cheese, and, and I like different goat products, but, but we're beef eaters, right? Egyptians were the same, and they thought that people that ate goat meat were like, oh, they're from a different country. They were very prejudiced people, and so when, when Joseph's brothers come up before Egypt, or before Pharaoh, and they say that we're goat herds, listen, you just tell them the truth. You let the Lord, that's the way we all should live our lives, amen? But how many of us don't answer how many of us do that? I'm going to challenge you at the end of the study with some really hard uh, questions, uh, searching questions, and, but I think it's good when the Lord challenges us in that way. So well, this is where we're going. We're in chapter 47, and uh, this formal presentation now, the brothers are going to stand before Pharaoh. That's where we find her. So let's ask God's blessing, and we'll jump right into verse 1. Father, thank you for this study. Thank you for its just the, the, the wonderful lesson, life lessons that we have learned. And Lord, I, I pray that each of us would compare our lives, not just to jo- uh, Jacob, but to Joseph, that we would be men and women of integrity, of honesty. We're believers in Christ. We have new natures, and we know what the right is. Oh, that we would do the right thing, that we would choose the honest thing. And so, Lord, teach us as we look at Joseph tonight. In Jesus we pray, amen. Verse 1, my first point here, Pharaoh gives land to Jacob. Notice verse 1. Then Joseph went and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers, their flocks and their herds and all they possess have come from the land of Canaan. And indeed, they are in the land of Goshen right now. And he took five men from among his brothers. And he presented them to Pharaoh. Here's my five brothers. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? Remember, he primed him. Joseph's already primed. And they said, your servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. And they said to Pharaoh, we have come to dwell in the land because your servants, us, we, we, we've got no pasture for our flocks. The, the, the famine is so severe in the land. Now, therefore, please let your servants dwell in this land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh spoke to Joseph Remember, they're, he, they're Jews. They, they, don't speak, they speak a different language than the Egyptians. So um, Joseph has learned to speak that language, and they're talking to each other. And he says there, Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, saying, Your fathers and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you anything, really. Here, have, you, have your father and brother dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any competent men among them, let them be beef herders, my chief herdsmen. That's, this area of Goshen was the prime beef area, Montana, uh, whatever. You know, just the prime beef area. And, and, and that's where all of the, the herdsmen were. And so Pharaoh's thinking, well, maybe I could capitalize on Then you guys do livestock. Maybe you could kind of move in here. I've trusted you, Joseph, and I'm sure your brothers will do a great job. And so he's kind of got his eye on, on them for that, that job over the livestock. So the reason Pharaoh gives them the land, again, is all because of Joseph. It's not because of them. It's because Joseph has been a man of integrity. He saved Egypt. And really, he saved the world from this terrible famine. Joseph has had insight from God. And he's boldly proclaimed his God's insight to this pagan ruler, Pharaoh. And so the whole family now of Israel, Jacob, remember Jacob, Israel, same guy. The whole family of Israel is now blessed. They're receiving this land of Goshen where they can bring their livestock and their family. Then here in verse 7, Jacob blesses Pharaoh. This is really interesting. Then Jacob brought in his father, or Joseph, pardon me, brought his father Jacob. And he sat him before Pharaoh. He's 130 years old. His knees aren't working. He's laying on a bed. He brings, he carries him in there. And he brings old Jacob and sets him before Pharaoh there. Pharaoh said to Jacob, how old are you? 
You get the idea when you read the story. Again, the Bible's very revealing. If you'll take time just to read it slowly, think about it. Pharaoh takes one look at him and goes, wow, look at all the wrinkles. You're really old. And Jacob said to Pharaoh, and this, listen to what he says, the days of the years of my pilgrimage, my journey in modern vernacular are 130 years. And then he says this, few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. There's, he's revealing something there. And they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the day of their journeys, their pilgrimage. So again, Pharaoh sees him and says, man, how old are you? And Jacob, his answer, Israel's answer here, we learn that he's growing in grace. No longer does he say, you know, I've conquered Canaan. No longer does he, he exaggerate and tell a story about his life and how great he is. Notice how humble he is. See, he's learning. He's finally learned at 130 through all these hardships. He's been a liar. He's been a deceiver all his life, but he's not lying anymore. In fact, he's given credit to his forefathers here. It's really interesting. He, he confessed he was on a journey. This was just a pilgrimage. He, he realizes that he has a father in heaven. That, that it's not just about here and now on this planet, that, that he has something else. This is not his home. This is not his permanent address. He's just on a pilgrimage here. He knows that home is somewhere else, heaven. I, I believe there's a, there's a reference here to, to the afterlife. He's just on a pilgrimage here. And then he says, few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. In other words, he's humbly saying, life's hard. I've gone through some difficult days here on the earth, few and evil. In other words, they were short in compare to the life that is to come. They're few days, just a journey. I'm here for a short time in terms of, of my whole life and moving into the, the future. And I just love his humility here. Number two, he says that, that his life didn't compare at all to the life of his father's there. In other words, they had it much harder than me. A few and evil days. He didn't admit all of his mistakes, but he says, you know, uh, my father's had it much harder than I've had. I've had a pretty easy life. I've been given money. I was a rich man uh, uh, because of my family, all the holdings. God has blessed my life again and again. I've never really had to work that hard. That's, that's what he's saying there. He's, this new humility that's coming from Jacob means he's growing in grace. It's so fantastic to see. Verse 10, so Jacob blessed Pharaoh, and he went out from before Pharaoh. So he, he ends this thing, and the, the blessing's not written here. It would have been fun for Moses to have written down all of the things that, that Jacob may have said to bless the Pharaoh, but, but the scripture just says that he blessed Pharaoh. Now, when Jacob pronounces this blessing on this pagan ruler, what, what he's doing is he's acknowledging. Jacob is acknowledging what God has already done. This promised blessing on all those who bless the children of Israel. And it's, it's the Abrahamic covenant that we read about back in Genesis 12, verse 3. Here's the reference on the screen behind me. You've heard it before, seen it before. God tells Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and I'll curse him who curses you. And, and in you, and through your family, Abraham, Isaac, and who? Jacob, Israel. Through you, the, the world is going to be blessed. And so now, Jacob is blessing the one that's, that's blessed him. It's just an and blessed his family. Pharaoh has blessed the family of Joseph. And because of that, now he's being blessed himself. Just like this, this uh, Abrahamic blessing. And again, I, you've heard me say it. I, I, I've said it over the years. But you better be on God's side when it comes to voting for a candidate that's going to represent you in our government. Someone that's going to honor Israel. You do not want to be on the other side. I don't care who the candidate is. I don't care how old they are, what color their skin is, if they're male or female. If they're not on Israel's side, you're voting against God. You're on the wrong side of the fence. 
If you want this blessing, if you want our nation to be blessed, then you better vote for somebody that's going to bless Israel. Because this covenant, I believe, to this day, is still in force. And so again, we see this happening in this. It's such a beautiful picture of it right here with Jacob and Pharaoh in that, that blessing him. So Pharaoh, Pharaoh extends his blessing to Joseph's family. Jacob responds by pronouncing his blessing on Pharaoh, this Abrahamic covenant. Just a partial fulfillment. I think it's fulfilled again and again throughout the centuries. So Joseph, he settled his father and his brothers here in Goshen in the best land in Egypt. And he's now providing food and shelter, in a sense, through food and, and this land for the, the family. It's Joseph who's provided for his family. You remember the, the uh, image that he saw, the vision he saw where the sheaves bowed before him. It's all coming to fruition now. It's all coming to life now. He's the one that's in control. He's the one that's providing food. Why did the sheaves bow down? Because it had everything to do with food, that blessing. And now we're seeing all of that come to, to pass here. Verse 11, and Joseph situated his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt. So Joseph had the final authority. He's second in command. He's prime minister. He goes down and says, okay, you're going to have this. Here's your boundaries. This is the, your land. No one's going to take it from you. Probably went to the other, the, the uh, cow hands, you know, around the area of Goshen and said, listen, this is now, this is my dad, this is his, my brothers, these are the ones that have this land, don't, don't mess with their land. They're going to work with you, but they're going to be here in this land, this is theirs now. And Joseph provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household, verse 12, with bread, according to the number in their families. There's about 70 of them that have come with all their livestock. And so they're all provided for now through Joseph. Instead of looking to Jacob, the family of Israel looked to Joseph as their source of provision. Now, beginning in verse 13, we see my next point here, the, the integrity of Joseph. And that's really the, the, the nuts and bolts of the study. Verse 13, now there was no bread in all the land. So here's how severe the famine was. So that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan the word languished because of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. That word languished, again, it means to faint. The people were, were faint. They, were, they, they weren't eating enough. They were starving. That's how bad the famine was. And it's going to go on year after year, and we're going to see how Pharaoh manages this so wonderfully to enable these people to live. But uh, the, the personal reserves of all the people had caused them to faint. And Joseph has this enormous power and this ability to see and provide for. He's, he's provided grain in all these cities all around Egypt. And, and that's where these people are coming now to get food. But here's, here's what really helps us understand how humble Joseph is. Second in charge. He's been given tremendous authority. His family could go anywhere in Egypt. Pharaoh just made that point. And yet he doesn't hold it over people. He isn't like you and I who once we have power, we start getting tweaked. You know, it's mine and I control it. And hey, if you, listen, if you want, to live here, then you better do what I say. You better please me or I won't give you any food. There's none of that going on here. Joseph, he's just a man of humility. He's fair. He's not promising kickbacks. He's not jacking up the prices. He's fair and equitable and honest. He's a total man of, of integrity. That's what makes him such a great study. Again, people who stumble into great wealth, like athletes, or entertainers, politicians, many of them, and you know what I'm talking about here, <clears throat> they fall into these, these reckless, selfish behaviors. Let me just throw a couple out just for fun. Demi Lovato. Remember, she, she sang with Barney. Did you know that? She started with Barney. 
And now she's making all this money and whatever. And then there's Justin Bieber. I don't want to talk about it, but Miley Cyrus, you know, Hannah Montana. And then they, it just twists these people. Don't you, wouldn't you agree? Twists them. Money and fame and power, but not this man. That's why it's such a great study. So, so let's get our eyes off of these current pop favorites and get our eyes in the Bible. And let's look at this man again, Joseph. He's the prime minister but he doesn't use his situation for his advantage because the integrity just ran deep within this man. He's always been honest. He's always been truthful. In fact, remember last chapter, and I made a a case for it first of the study tonight. He went to his brothers and said, don't you dare lie. You tell them the truth. Even though you know that they don't eat goat meat, you just tell them you're, you're a shepherd. That's what I want you to do. You tell them the truth. And he's always done that. That's why God has elevated him and encouraged him. Listen, Christian, we need to understand that. We need to live, men and women, we need to live with that kind of honesty and integrity because people are watching. If you do that as a parent, not a perfect parent, made a lot of mistakes, but if you live with honesty and integrity and you talk to your kids honestly and you tell them when you've failed, and you, you admit when you've sinned as a parent, I've had to do it, then you'll gain respect in the eyes of your kids. And when they become 12 and 13 and 16, they won't go over the falls like the world believes they are. They're just going to go crazy, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That's just part of who you are as a... No, it's not. If you deal honestly with your kids and you train them and instruct them and you live that honest life and you, if your word is your word, if it's always true, then your kids are going to follow you. I truly believe that. I've seen it. I've seen it not just in my home. I've seen it in other Christian parents' homes. And it's, it's really important. Again, we need to live our lives of integrity and it ran deep within this man. His values were anchored. They anchored him. This, this serving God and speaking the truth. That's, that was who this man represent. Now, notice how fair Joseph is to everybody. We're going to read this next section. It's kind of over the years. This is like three or four years compressed in a few verses. But notice in verse 15, when the money failed. In other words, people bought food and then they had no more money to buy food. This famine went so long, it just kept going month after month, year after year. And in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph, give us bread. We we can't buy it anymore. For why should we die in your presence? For the money has failed. Then Joseph said, okay, give your livestock and I'll give you bread for your livestock. So they ran out of money. So it's now you got to give your possess some of your possessions if your money's gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for their horses, the flocks, and the cattle of their herds, and donkeys. Thus, Joseph, thus he fed them with bread in exchange for all their livestock that year. When that year had ended, verse 18, they came to him the next year and said, we will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. My Lord also has all of our livestock. There's nothing left in the sight but our bodies and our lands. That's all we have. We, we, we can be your slave or you can take the land that we own. Why should we die? Look at their reasoning, verse 19. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, for bread, and we in our land will be servants of Pharaoh. So they're offering themselves now to Joseph because they have nothing else. They're dying. They're struggling. Everyone in the land is. So they come to him, and they, that's, they make the, the next deal with him. And he says, buy us for bread, and we in our land are servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. Then Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For every man of the Egyptians sold his field because the famine was severe upon them. So the land became Pharaoh's. Now, you read that and you go, wow, that guy, he's taking advantage of all those people. No, he wasn't. He's preserving those people. The people aren't complaining. They're just saying, hey, we don't have anything else. You just, how about we trade our animals for food? Joseph said, okay, let's, let's do that. 
We don't have anything else. How about, how about our bodies? We'll be slaves. Well, 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 let's not do the slave thing, but, but your land. We'll do the land. We'll do, you give us the land, and we'll make sure that you're fed. And now they're going to move from the land out in the country into these cities close to the silos and close to the food so it can be distributed over the next couple of years as the famine kind of ceases. But that's where we're going to see them. They give them the animals, and you might say, well, that's kind of cruel. Why did he take their animals? Because the animals would have died without grain, right? So it really was, Joseph is very compassionate He's a man of integrity. He's not asking anybody. He's not twisting arms. They're coming to him. He's making a deal because who does he work for? Who is it? Pharaoh. He's being honest. He's working hard. He's making all these deals. And Pharaoh is just becoming the world leader, richer than you can imagine. So Pharaoh's kind of sitting in the background. My goodness, look what's going on. Look at, I'm so glad I put him in charge. It's a fascinating, again, fascinating study. Then in verse 21, this is where he moves people into cities. They sold the land. Now they're going to move to cities. And as far uh, as for the people, verse 21, he moved them into cities from one end of the borders of Egypt to the other end. Only the land of the priests he did not buy. For the priests had rations allotted to them by Pharaoh. And they ate their rations, which Pharaoh gave them. So these people were provided for anyway. They, they didn't have any property. They just had this, this food that was their supply. But everybody else moved into these cities. He, they got closer so they could distribute the grain. That's how bad this famine is. I mean, we've had famine in the world. We see it. There's a lot of people in, in famine right now. In West Africa, it's really, really bad. Haven't had water for couple of years, and those people have had to move away from that land. It's parched and dry. It's not yielding anything for them to eat. And that's exactly what was happening here for all this time. They've traded everything. They've traded. The money ran out. Their livestock was traded away. They're so desperate, they offer their bodies as slaves and their land. And so Joseph takes their land, and he moves them into cities just to keep them all alive. Very shrewd, very wise and even godly in all that he's doing. His dealing is very godly. Then Joseph, here's the, the guidelines he gives. Now, they're all moved into cities now, so he's going to give guidelines for these people because he doesn't want them to be slaves. Look at verse 23. Then Joseph said to the people, Indeed, I have bought you and your land this day for Pharaoh. Look, here's a seed for you, and you shall sow the land, and it shall come to pass in the harvest that you shall give one-fifth to Pharaoh. Four-fifths shall be your own as seed for the field and for your own food, for those of your household and for food for your little ones. So he's providing. Now, the government has it all. That's, this is what this is showing us. Pharaoh and Joseph represent the government of Egypt. They have everything now. But notice how equitable he is. I mean, we're going to give you seed you're going to plant it, and when it grows, because you, you, you don't have any land, you don't have any money, you don't have any livestock, when it grows, you can use four-fifths of it for you. Keep a little for seed for next season. Use, use some to eat, use some to trade, but, but 20% of it is going to be going to come back to Pharaoh. So he, again, he makes this, this deal that doesn't put him under this total enslavement of most of their income, like a lot of even our country and other countries that are very social in their taxation. Wouldn't you love just to pay a flat 20% even? I mean, a lot of people don't do that. Uh, there, there are a lot of people in this church I know that pay these higher uh, taxes. And, and again, Joseph has is, is just worked this all out. Everybody just pays a flat tax here, 20%. I kind of like it myself, but... I want to draw your attention now to Joseph's integrity. Notice how he gains the respect, my next point, the respect of the people. He's gained their respect. So they said, verse 25, you've saved our lives. They didn't say, oh, this is going to be too hard to do. We can't do it. They just said, you've saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt, his policy. So he made this governmental policy here 
that Pharaoh should have the one-fifth except for the land of the priests only, which did not become Pharaoh's. How did he do all that? How was he able to, to manage all of that over the years to deal with all the people, the hunger, the starvation, and do it in a fair and equitable way? Because he was a man of integrity. He's a man of honesty. He's walking with the Lord. He trusts God. He's in prayer. He's making fair deals to keep these people alive. And they're thankful that, that you've saved our lives Verse 26, and Joseph made it law again over the Egypt to this day, and the Pharaoh should have one-fifth except for the land of the priests. So his honesty brought them this, their, their pre- preservation, really. The lessons for us in all this is integrity. So here's the question. What is your integrity like? Your individual integrity. What is it? Honesty. What is it like? Now, if you're, if you're a wise believer here tonight, if you're a true Christian, when this arrow comes out from the Holy Spirit, not from my voice, but the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit convicts you of something that you haven't been honest about, jump up in front of it and take it. It's just my counsel to you. You can hide. You can run. You can run tonight. Oh, I'm, and you can lie about and deny that your, uh, your integrity is perfect and impeccable. Not a good plan, to be honest with you. When the Holy Spirit hits you with one of these darts, I'm going to start throwing them here, but, uh, but I, I, the question is, what's your integrity like? Focus on the Family Magazine lists a couple of ways that most of us compromise in terms of our integrity. Here's a couple. Number one, trying to save a few bucks by passing your child off as younger Sneaking food past the no outside food or drinks at the theater. Telling our children to tell AT&T at 6 o'clock, they always call it 6, that you're not home. Now you go, well, that's, that's not that big a deal. You're lying right in front of your five-year-old. You asked your seven-year-old to answer the phone and then tell a lie. Think about that. Think about it. Oh, Pastor Lee, it's not a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a big deal because if, if your children can't trust you at seven, how, how are they going to trust you at 13? I didn't think it was that big a deal. Listen, sometimes you need to just go to your kids and say, flat out, I did the wrong thing. Driving. I wish I could say I'm just a fastest driver in the world, but I always get tickets. You can ask Barry. (laughs) Oh, I'll go the speed limit, and then pretty soon you're just, you know. Integrity. We're talking about honesty here. What's your integrity like? Underreporting your income by taking money under the table. These are just a few ways that we compromise our integrity to gain some kind of advantage. Listen, integrity is a big deal for you and I as Christians. Why? Because God is in us. He sees, he hears, he knows our motivation. And when you're not living in integrity and you read the scriptures and you find this kind of duplicit life, you either have to deny it or lie about it. And then you're in constant turmoil, like you have to walk around and say, God, forgive me, God, forgive me, God, forgive me, over and over, instead of just being forgiven and and then living like Joseph. A true Christian is so grateful to be forgiven that it affects all of these areas of integrity in their lives. Let me illustrate this with a story. Corey Tin Boom tells a story about her father. Her father had a watch-making shop. In Germany, times were hard, and a large family debt, a bill, had to be paid, but there was no money for them to pay it. And one day, a, a well-dressed, affluent man walked into the shop, and he began to ask about some very expensive watches behind the counter. And Corey remembers 
that as she listened to her father and watched the deal being made and sing the expensive watch, she was thinking she had heard her parents talk about the bill that had to be paid, and here's an opportunity, and she's just waiting for this guy to pull out a wad of cash and, and put it down on this, this, wa- this watch, and, and as she's watching, she's just holding her breath as all this is going on, and he pulls the money out, you know, and he's going to lay the cash out on the counter, and the customer looked at this watch, and and uh, then he said to Corey's dad, I had a good watchmaker here in town. His name was Van Houten. Perhaps you know him. And the father nodded his head. Yep. The wealthy man continued. He said, well, when Van Houten died and his son took over the business, I kept doing business with the young man. However, this last watch that I bought from him didn't, didn't really run at all. I took it back three times, but he couldn't seem to fix it. That's why I've decided to come to you. And the father said, can I look at the watch? And the man gave it to him, and he took the back off. He made a couple little quick adjustments, put the cover on, and said, here, it's fine. And after he did that, Corey watched her father as the man said, well, thank you, and turned, and he shook his Uh, Corey's dad's hand and he walked out the door and Corey was like dad dad what did you do that for you why why did you allow him to go you know that we needed the money and this is what her father said Corey you know that I spoke at Mr. Van Houten's funeral and shared the gospel what do you think that this young man would have said when he heard that one of his good customers had gone to Mr. Tin Boom. Do you think the name of the Lord would be honored? As for the money, Corey, you need to trust God. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Joseph is a man of integrity. He's living his life in an honest way, everything that he does. Now this chapter, look at how it closes here. It closes And here's my last point tonight, Jacob anticipating his death. Jacob is a happy man now, his family's together. So Israel, not Jacob, notice there's Israel, dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen. And they had possessions there, and they grew. During the famine, they're growing and multiplying exceedingly. There's the Abrahamic blessing. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 more years. So he lived to be 147 years old. The length of Jacob's life was 147 years. When the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said, Now if I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Kind of an interesting way to make a pledge, you know, instead of shaking hands or high-fiving or whatever. I, I don't get it. But that's what they did, put his hand under his thigh. He says, please don't bury me in Egypt. I don't want to be buried. I want to be buried back in Canaan in the land that was promised to our fathers. That's, that's his request there. And then he said, verse 31, swear to me. And he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head of his bed. Interesting. Jacob, he lives this Last 17 years of his life as a very happy, fulfilled man. He, he's humbled himself. He's seeing God work in his life. He, he's not a, a deceiver. He's, not, he's grown in, in his grace. He, he's grown in integrity. He's looking at his son, this man of integrity, Joseph, standing out among his peers, That's what the story illustrates. Now, let me close by making some application. I've left some time tonight to do this very thing. After you were just stabbed with this question about your personal integrity, and I hope you took it that way, some questions that really help us to understand, are we really honest? Are we living an honest life? Or are we being deceivers like Jacob's life? And here's the question. How do we cultivate integrity? How do we cultivate integrity in the life? This is for you and I, Christians. These are important truths here. I've got a long way to go. I'm still learning and growing, but I've got a couple ideas here. Number one, you immerse yourself in godly thinking. 
How do you cultivate integrity in your life? Number one, you just immerse yourself in godly thinking. Paul tells us what we should do in Romans 12, verse 2. Notice this verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I love that verse. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How do you become a man of integrity, a woman of integrity? You immerse yourself in godly thinking, not the world's way, not the political way. You fill your heart and mind with God's word, and you do what Paul says. Don't be conformed. Don't be shaped. Don't be molded by the world around you, but be molded completely and transformed by the living Holy Spirit in you and God's word. Paul understood something really important, that integrity and behavior begin in our thinking. And to change your mind and to change your thinking, you need to read and understand the Word of God. You'll never think biblically until you understand the Bible. So you've got to read the Scriptures. A person of integrity is a person of the book person that loves the word of God, a person that goes to it again and again. Someone said this, we will become like that which we give our minds to. We'll become like that which we give our minds to. Biblical thinking can be summed up this way. This is another word from Paul, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. says, therefore, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, Do all to the glory of God. See, it's it's hard to do something that you know is a lie to the glory of God. It's hard to do something and go against the word of God and against the truth of the word of God when you understand what it is. So whatever you do, you're to do it with gusto. Do it for the glory of God, but, but do the right thing. Thinking biblically means you recognize that every moment is lived for God and his glory. And his rules are for your good. You live by his rules. They're not grievous. They keep you from sin and, and further heartache in your life when you obey the word of God. I mean, the Ten Commandments, think about them. Think about how wonderful society would be if people would just live by the Ten Commandments. 24-7 Christians not just for the 16 hours you're awake each day, but 24-7. We're to think biblically. We're to understand the scriptures and live a life of integrity. That leads to the second thing, to cultivate integrity. Number two, begin in your private life. Integrity begins when no one else is watching. It's just you. Late at night, the computer's on. Just you and the Holy Spirit. That's when it begins. You cultivate that in your private life. You turn it off. You walk away. You do those things. And as you do that, that's where it begins. You cultivate that in your private life. If you're one way in public and another way in private, you're just a what? A hypocrite. So in private, you need to cultivate those honest and true whatsoever things are good. Whatsoever things are a good report, think and do those things in private. Integrity. It's anchored to who you are when no one's looking. It's how you act when the boss is gone. It's how you act when no one's home and the internet's on. It's how you act when you engage in leisure activities away from your family, away from your home on a business trip. In other words, if you concentrate on being a person of integrity in your private life, it's just going to spill over in your public life. So you start there in your private life. Number one, you immerse yourself in godly thinking. Number two, you begin in your private life. Number three, I like this one, practice integrity in the little things. Start with the little things. Don't think that you have to conquer some large, you know, unsurmountable thing in your life. Just a little thing. Start small. We all know that the best way of beating cancer is early detection. That's why 
women have these uncomfortable mammograms and and you, you check yourself and you make sure that, that you're, because if you detect it early, then there's therapies that can, can steer you. But if you wait until it's too late, you wait till it grows and festers. Integrity is the same way. If, if tonight the Holy Spirit is showing you some area of your life that you really need to work on, start working on it. Conquer it. Make a decision of your own will and volition that you're going to do the right thing. And then when you do the right thing, don't jump up and down and say, did you see what I did, God? Go right to the Holy Spirit and say, oh, God, thank you for giving me the strength that I needed to get through that. Give all the glory and honor to God, and then God will honor you, and he'll give you more. And you'll begin to conquer these things that, that really upset your life, that, that twist and turn things in, in, your, in your life. If you want to be a person of integrity... You need to start with the little things. When reporting a story, avoid exaggeration. Boy, I wish that was happening in our society. Admit your ignorance instead of fake news. I mean, that, that speaks to the heart, and just not of our own culture right now, but as individuals. Give credit where credit is due. Don't take it for yourself. Be on time. If you tell your boss you're going to be there, be there. Work hard in those eight hours or 10 hours, or if you're a, a nurse and you do 12-hour shifts, I don't know how you do it, but if you do that, work hard for those 12 hours. Show a servant's heart at home. Don't ignore your wife or your kids. Be a servant to them. Work hard at home. Show them that, that you know the Lord and God's changed your life and you're a man, a woman, a husband, a father, a, a wife, a mother of grace and of God's forgiveness. Live that way. Practice integrity in the little things. A person of integrity wants to get rid of any behavior that could turn into a cancer, that could become bigger, that could be reveal hypocrisy in them. Again, Let's be honest, there's something that all of us need to stop doing even tonight. All of us. All of us. Again, I'm doing this Bible study and the Lord is saying, bing, this, this, this. It's happening. It's happening to my heart too. Maybe for some of you, it's driving etiquette. <laughs> Maybe it's language. In other words, you need to control this slimy little thing like this. It's so hard to grasp, isn't it? Do you have a trouble with your tongue like I do? Anybody in here? Man, the tongue. Look at this verse. I'm going to throw this verse at you and we'll be done. Notice what James says, but no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil <laughs> full of deadly poison. With it, we bless God and the Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude or the image of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be so. There's something here for all of us in this area of integrity. Listen, I learned a long time ago, especially as a, a young father that made a bunch of mistakes, Instead of making excuses for me, my wife, and my kids, it I would just say, hey, thanks for pointing that out. We're going to work on that. Or, or, or I'm working on that. Thank you for pointing that out. I'm going to work on that. And I'm going to work on it. And that's the way we need to see it. We need to receive those kinds of words from our beloved church family. As long as you're not being too picky. Kent Hughes, in his book, Great Stories, he writes this. Dr. George Sweeting, past president of Moody Bible Institute, tells a story of a trigonometry professor who, upon given an exam, would always share these words to his students. Today, I'm going to give you two exams. The first is trigonometry. The second is honesty. I hope you can pass them both. However, if you're going to fail one, fail trigonometry. There are many good people in this world who have failed trigonometry, but there are no good people in the world who have failed the test of honesty. Let's pray. 
Father, I thank you for the word tonight. And I thank you, Lord, that you have brought to our attention this important topic of integrity. As we've studied the life of this man, Joseph, and as we've seen you bless and prosper him because he's honest, as we compare our lives, Lord, we, we pale in comparison, and yet, Lord, we can begin to work on things, little things. I pray, Father, that you would work in our hearts, that you would forgive us as, as now many of us are asking forgiveness, even, even right now. Forgive us, Lord, for lies, false statements, and pretense and hypocrisy. Help us, Lord, to live in honesty. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your patience and your loving kindness and your long-suffering of us, your children. And change us, I pray, God. Make us into men and women that would live in integrity and honesty for your glory, for your honor, so that our testimony of Jesus Christ would have, would have weight and substance to the non-believers around us. We give our lives to you now. Let's just take a moment before we worship with your head bowed and just before the Lord. Allow the Holy Spirit just to reveal, and as he does, come to the Lord and ask forgiveness. Ask God to restore you. Ask God to give you more courage and strength to be that man or woman of integrity.